BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to a basketball legend, a former coach, a broadcaster now of the First Order, and one of the greats to ever put on a UMD uniform, Christy Winters Scott. Also, I've got some choice words about LeBron's breaking Kareem's all-time scoring record and more. But first, let's speak to Christy Winters Scott. Uh, first and foremost, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I love it. You know, I love talking hoop. So that's awesome. Thanks well, for having me. Yeah. I mean, first things first, really smart people are disagreeing on this question. Does uh-huh. Kevin Durant make the Suns the championship front runner or at least the front runner to win the Western Conference? I think how could he not? Right. I mean, if you don't like that he's there, that's different than will he make a difference and an impact? And I think he will make a tremendous impact on that team um, just with his experience alone. So yeah, two weeks ago, I didn't see that coming. But now that we're here, I think that it's going to be quite a nice blend with with D book and Chris Paul. I think those three uh, pillars are, you know, uh, I don't know, it gives you a good chance for success, to say the least. I mean, the three of them have totally different roles, but I think they can mesh and blend. But that may take some time. Like on paper, it looks like that'll be a lot of fun, right? But I think when you're coming in midstream like that, there's an adjustment period that you have to give them grace for. But I would say, you know, maybe two or three weeks down the line, I think you're going to see what I'm talking about, which mm-hmm. is, you know, their experience shining through. And they're they're so competitive minded. So I think they'll be selfless in that growth. Mm. In your experience as a player, what happens when the uh, the deck chairs of the boat get overturned, so to speak, in terms of pecking orders of who gets shots, of who's got the ball in their hands, of who initiates the offense? Um, just curiosities about if you think this is going to mesh smoothly or if you think there will be those growing pains i think there there'll definitely be growing pains with that i mean shot selection is probably the toughest thing um that players have to deal with especially when you're bringing in a player who's won mvp before in the league and uh, kevin durant so i think there will be an adjustment period but at the same time for me as a basketball purist 
it doesn't matter who's open, pass them the ball. And I understand when you have uh, situational things happening in overtime or clutch moments in a game, then it could be more strategy and who's hot today, even if this is our best three-point shooter, but they're one for 10 right now, do we still go that way? Um, there's still questions to be answered during those junctures. But at the same time, I think as a whole, as the game is unfolding, I think there should be like an organic flow and feel to the game. I think there should be a rhythm to the game. A swing, swing three is always so pretty um, when players aren't thinking about the good shot, but the great shot for the team, not for them. So I think that's always an adjustment. I don't care what gender, what age, but basketball in general, I think that's always to me going to be the beauty of the game is the selfless side of it. Um, and that can happen on defense as well. I'm not going to leave you on an island if I can rotate and help. So there's selfishness that can be played on the defensive side too. Um, but I think when all things are are ironed out for the Suns, I think that they're going to they're going to blend well. But I think there's a selflessness about all three of those players, right, in particular, mm. that um, it's not going to take that long for them to to get it together. Well, raising Kevin Durant's name makes me want to ask you this question. Okay. Uh, you know this area that we are in so well when it comes to hoops, this mid-Atlantic region where where you thrived. Kevin Durant produced a documentary called Something in the Water about why there is such a concentration of professional basketball players from this little strip of the country. From your perspective, what's in the water? Oh man, pride. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the pride uh, of this area and, and everyone's saying that uh, their cities are better. You know, I think there's a, there's a sense of, I'm gonna stand up and, and represent this area. And when you think about the players who have come from this, this strip, like you said, of the map, I mean, that's what stands out when I think of each name, right? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a level of pride, there's a level of expectation and accountability um, and tradition to, to stand in that space and understand that, yeah, there is something in the water here. And I think if you ask everyone who has come from this area, I think the first word they would come to would be pride as well, mm. because it is, um, it's, it's, um, it's something to be celebrated. I'm so glad he did that documentary. I, I think it could have been longer than 30 minutes because there's so much more to talk about um, and so many more people to include. So, and I know they included some of the women's basketball players in that as well, uh, but there's so many more uh, that we could tap into. So I hope he does a 2.0, 3.0 of it. Um, I hope that continues because those stories need to be told because the youngsters who are now playing in the DMV area or on the mid-Atlantic area, they need to know, you know, how else, how else will they find out about the history of this area and the tradition of this area if we don't tell them stories, um, if we don't share who these people were and, and how they impacted the game on every level, like high school, AAU, you know, on to college and pro and Olympics. Like, I think uh, the story needs to continue to be, to be told on a consistent basis to our, to our youth. Does it surprise you at all that a lot of these athletes who have made uh, a, a tremendous amount of money at the very top of their sport are turning towards storytelling as something they like doing as a side like and also deep dives into history? I was talking to Malcolm Jenkins and he was telling me he's got a doc coming out about the history of black wealth in the United States. And wow. it's like pe people's 
minds are are busting open about history, storytelling, documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. LeBron, Kobe was getting into this space. He was. In a big way. Yeah. I mean, what is that about? What is it about that makes the, these basketball players in particular become kind of seamless storytellers? Oh, wow. That's a great question. And I would say, and maybe this isn't the right answer, but it's from my perspective and my personal opinion. But I think over the pandemic, especially those of us involved in sports, when everything shut down, I know for me, I was very introspective. I don't think that, I mean, my father passed in um, 2019 and I don't think I properly grieved him until I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for me, it was um, a period of, of introspection. So I think maybe a lot of other athletes and not necessarily a grieving process, but I think a lot of other athletes take a look at their journey. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, let me see where I am and how did I get here to this space? And I think uh, maybe that's why all the storytelling is coming about right now, because there's been um, time to reflect on how they've gotten here is a time to reflect on their why and Mm. and how important that is. And sometimes they can ask themselves, well, what is my why? Maybe they don't know. And maybe they're still investigating that through these documentaries. So I think there's some, um, I don't know, some healing, I guess, that comes through that. But there's also some teaching that comes through that. I mean, I'm sure it's cathartic. It was for me. But I think when you have a story to tell, you know that each one can teach one, you know, I love quotes. So each one can teach one, but you know, to whom much is given much is expected. And I think um, that's not financial, right? Always. I mean, we know a lot of professional athletes who give back to their communities, which is fantastic. And you saw, you know, Kyle Kuzma recently gave back to Flint, Michigan, a million dollars, you know, so it's not always, and, and that's fantastic. And trust and believe I have a tremendous amount of respect. And if I had it like that, I would definitely do that as well. But when you, when you have um, an idea of who's coming behind you and the blueprint that you want to leave to those young people and the hope that you want to leave to those young people in terms of their belief and, um, and for them to realize what their purpose and their why is, I think that is a, a, a tremendous role of leadership. And I think when you're involved in athletics, I think there is a sense of leadership, right? And I always used to say, like, you can't lead others until you first lead yourself. So I think when you give that information out about your journey, the struggles therein, I think um, I think that really helps people understand that they didn't just land where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Like there was some struggle involved. There were there were some failures involved. There were some no's heard. Um, it wasn't always easy. So I think when they are transparent that way, I think it really um, bodes well for for the next generation to see that it's not a straight line to the finish line. It's very rocky. There are hurdles and mud pits and everything else that you're going to have to fight through. And your determination and your persistence is what carries you through those moments. Um, and is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it doable? Absolutely, it is um, through your belief and confidence in your work ethic and the belief that you can make something happen for yourself. Mm. And, and I should say, I, I want to correct one thing I said. I said sure. top tier, uh, most financially. I was thinking of people like LeBron and KD who oh, sure. take those serious checks. But I got to give a shout out to um, a, a lot of these guys and women who are doing writing and who are 
putting out books. And I mean, I just feel like this generation and maybe it is the pandemic. Like there's like a creative flowering coming from these athletes. That is someone should write that about that. Maybe Um, I did. I did want to have you on though, to talk some WNBA before, Mm. before you have to go. Um, The New York Liberty, John Kell Jones, Courtney Vandersloot, and of course, Brianna Stewart. It brings up the issue of super teams, long debated in the NBA because everyone knows it's going to raise the profile nationally whenever they come to town and TV ratings. It's also yep. going to deprive talent locally. Uh, given where the WNBA is, what do you think of this new super team at this point in the league's development? Well, when you're talking about those three players, I mean, they've won MVPs and Olympic gold medals and, you know, uh, championships uh, across the board, uh, just straight up winners. But John Cole Jones, obviously a player from this area. Um, she played at GW, was A-10 player of the year when GW was in the A-10. Uh, twice over, I believe they won the championship there. So uh, another in the water player, just want to put that out there. But um, Courtney Vandersloot, she's been in discussion for MVP, although she hasn't won it yet, which, I mean, it's hard to fathom that that's the case. But for her to win a title in Chicago and now understanding what it takes to do that. But with Brianna Stewart coming back, I mean, she's from New York. So that's another, you know, um, prideful area when it comes to basketball and the legacies and, and all of that from the players who are from there. But Brianna Stewart's a winner everywhere she's gone. And for her to be able to come back home to New York um, and have that three-headed monster, I, I like it for the league. Um, I know people have their opinions about super teams, but we haven't seen it like that on the WNBA side. So for it to be happening right now, for Candace Parker to be going to the Las Vegas Aces um, after almost utilizing the blueprint of LeBron James, right? Like he went to Miami and won a title, went back to Cleveland, won a title, and then went to LA to win a title. So Candace, I think, is is on that track right now, winning one in LA, mm-hmm. right? And then recently winning one in Chicago. And then now, because her daughter is 13, about to get into high school and everything like that, she wants to be closer to L.A. So yeah. Vegas was, she don't want to go back to L.A., I guess, um, for whatever reason, but she wants to win another title. I mean, once you've won one or two, you want to get another one. So she's going to Vegas. So, I mean, that's a super team, obviously, as well, with Asia Wilson and her bestie, uh, Chelsea Gray, who she played with and won a championship in 2016 with the Sparks. So I, I think it's... it. It's a discussion like we're having right now that we wouldn't typically have, you know, mm-hmm. at this juncture, like the WNBA season is months away, mm-hmm. but we're talking about this because it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, will it be like that? Like on paper, these teams look like they're going to just tear up the league, mm-hmm. but that's why they play the games. Like your health and your chemistry have to both be on point. And so I think for New York, I think they're going to be fantastic. Sandy Brondello won titles in Phoenix. Um, but for her, Sandy Brandello played in the WNBA, obviously coaches the Australian national team, the Opals, um, over the several years um, in the Olympics and internationally. So as a point guard, how happy is she to see Courtney Vandersloot come through the door? What? And then Brianna Stewart, how happy is she to see those two um, and how creative she can get with with game plans and scheming and we're, and we're not even talking about Sabrina Ionescu, who's already there, who has had a fantastic yeah. professional career. 
We haven't even talked about her. We haven't talked about adding her, like the three of them. But then, yeah, there are players there that were top last year. So let's not forget that. But I think um, the same could be said for Vegas, you know, with Jackie Young and um, and Kelsey Plum. You know, I just think that they have players already there. I mean, yes, players move there, but they have players who were already there. Obviously, Vegas winning the title last year. Um you know, and then adding a piece like Candace Parker, who doesn't have to play gaudy minutes to win another title. I mean, I think it's exciting for the league. I think it challenges everyone else outside of those two teams to say on paper, that looks good, but we're still going to battle it out in this game. So I think it'll be really fun when, when those teams come through here in D.C. to take on the Mystics. Um, the Mystics made some nice moves as well. Um, Chrissy Tolliver coming back. Uh, Brittany Sykes coming in to the fold and, you know, she's just a, a defensive stalwart and, you know, Mike Tebow and uh, as the GM now and Eric Tebow, his son taking over as the head coach, you know, they love that, you know, um, Washington was the best defensive team in the league last year. So I think it's going to be fun, you know, to see a player like Shakira Austin after an amazing rookie season last year, um, develop and, and continue to thrive and flourish in the league. Um, but Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins, I mean, what are we really talking about? I mean, these there are great teams across the league. And yeah. I think it's going to be really exciting once again to, to see them battle it out with these super teams now that are created in New York and Vegas. So, so what I hear you saying is that we shouldn't be looking at this like a unipolar league, that this will not be plan the parade now in New York, that there is <laughs> no. real competition at play. And it's it, so it's, it's going to be maybe like that first season of the Miami heat where they look incredible, but it, maybe it doesn't quite happen in gel just yet. That's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I think it'll be like, um, I don't know. Such the entertainer said it best. I think um, if you remember uh, Luther Vandross and he said he had the, um, the Jerry curl, the curl didn't quite curl. Right. I think it's going to look like that initially until they get their chemistry together. But I think, um, I think it's going to be fun to even watch them develop their chemistry. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Mm. You know, last question, hoops question for you. You've been so uh, amazing and patient with these questions. Um, oh, no, you, you know, and this one's going to butter you up. So this is this is a uh -oh. good one to wait for. Look, okay. you, you were and are a player with legend attached to her name, like a legendary player in this area. How would you do? against this generation, which is sort of a way of asking also, how have you seen the game evolve? And do you think you would have been able to evolve with it based on how the players are rolling right now? Oh, that's a great question because my ego is telling me I would bust them up. Um, however, my back and my knees are saying like, what are you thinking? Um, but I think, um, but no, I think for me, I think I was, I mean, not not a three-point shooter, obviously, because we didn't really do it like that. I mean, the floor wasn't spaced that way, but I was more of a face-up player. Um, so I think I would fit into how the game is being played now um, in wide-open spaces, and I think I would prefer that because I really – I mean, even though I did get down there and post up, it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, but that's that's how the game was, and that's what I had to do. I had to get down there and get bruised up and, and knocked over. Um, and try to hold my seal and have a strong base and, and all of that. But at the same time, I think my most favorite thing to do was to face the basket, like in the in the dunker spot, in the short corner, both elbows, like those were my sweet spots, high posts, like around there. 
Um, and if I got into the paint, it was around the dotted line area, right in the middle, you know, made it tough to guard. So I'm posting up right in front of the rim. You can't pick a side. You're going to be straight behind me. So now I can get the turnaround shot going, um, turnaround jumper. And that was one of my favorite shots. But I think, how would I fit in? I think I would be a three in today's game. Um, my daughter plays at Georgetown and she's a three, four. So she's wow. kind of what, I mean, and she's much better than me. A, a tremendous athlete can ambidextrous can use both hands. I was very right-handed, no left hand period um, on my left side. Um, but I got away with my right hand, which I still don't understand how that happened with the scout being on me with having no left hand. But for Brie, it's like, I think she, um, she is what I would be now, like a stretch player um, that opens the floor. Um, she can put it on the ground a little bit. Um, but the trail three, like she's almost shooting 40% from three for Georgetown. You know what I mean? But she's six, three, six, four. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a different game in that way. And that's what I've seen um, across the board um, on the women's side and the men's side. The game has evolved into um, a three-point shooting analytical clinic every game. Like um, teams, if you don't take 23s minimum. And, mm -hmm. and we've seen 30 and 43s being attempted in the NBA. Okay. Um, and I know the pace of play is different and all that. But, I mean, if you're not taking 23s, you probably are, are going to lose because of that, <laughs> you know? Um, and it just comes down to simple math, obviously, with three being more than two. But at the same time, um, I think I would definitely, I would fit in because I didn't really like being down in there getting beat up. Um, mm -hmm. But if if we did flash back and then just pop me into, you know, take me from then and throw me out into today's game, Man, it would be so fast. I just think the game is so much faster. And we played fast. Um, I mean, in college, I think we averaged like in the 80s, you know, like we were we had games in the 90s and 100s a lot um, where we got up and down the floor. Um, I know we played Dawn's team like uh, at UVA. I know it was 102 to 99. I'm like, you know, so, I mean, the pace was crazy. So it's not like, you know, we were playing in the 50s and 60s and it was like slow pace we were getting up and down the floor but i just think the decisions are made faster um the quarter court plays are the cuts are harder um you know there are more screens being set mm. you know where you have to really try to counter actions from the defense and the offense has to counter actions from from what they're seeing on the defensive side so i think there's a lot more creativity in the game i think there's a lot more um structure because i don't we didn't have as many we we had plays but it wasn't every time down run a set, you know, I think there was, it was more of a feel and spacing and read and react. Um, we did have plays, but I think now there's a lot more structure. There's, there's now a lot more, um, you know, I don't want to say you're set up for what you want to take. Right. But you still have to have counters, but you're set up for the shot that the coach wants out of that set, but you still have to make a read. You know, and my favorite thing to say in basketball is, uh, you know, you have to uh, break a play to make a play sometimes like this is the what we're planning on the whiteboard, like set the screen, take this cut. But my God, if they're overplaying you in the passing lane, take a back cut, like, you know, make make a proper read. So I think that's what the game today has evolved into. Um, yes, you're running sets, but I think it's it's a good mesh of how it used to be where there was more freedom of movement on the offensive end and read in reacting um, more organically than, than it is now. I think there's a lot more structure um, offensively to the game now. Wow. Uh, th thank you so much. That was like a coaching <laughs> clinic.
Oh, <laughs> that was really good. Um, I love it. Helpful, act really helpful. Like you, you have a great way of visualizing of having someone visualize. Uh, I love it. Um, and just we always ask guests for music recommendations. Is there anything you're <laughs> listening to that you? Want oh, to you know, I'm listening to a lot of different things. Like it's crazy because I go to these college games and I hear these um, songs they're playing at practices and stuff like that, and I'll. I'll say, Siri, what's the song? And then I'll go and I'll take it and I'll listen to it. Um, but just, um, I guess, what am I listening to the most? Um, Raheem Devon, I like him. Like, it's like very smooth uh, music there. Obviously Beyonce, I mean, everybody knows that about me. Um, but I love the energy of her music and, um, and who she is as a mom and everything like that. So I just think that's very cool. But um, if I threw on like a couple songs, like I was on the plane earlier today, but if I threw on a couple songs, uh, I don't know, like Wale, I like him, you know, the DMV, uh, anything go-go, I'm into that, you know, just because the DMV is wow. being, yeah, I think go-go, if that comes on, and usually if I'm driving through DC and a go-go song comes on, I crank that thing all the way up and it's just like, it's such a vibe and I love it. Um, just being here in the city. Um, it just, I don't know, it's like magical. So that's fun. Love that. You know, the wizards used to lean into that a little bit more than they're doing now. I think I might have yeah. to send an, an email into uh, <laughs> fan relations or something. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. Th this was terrific thank you so much for taking the time with us and uh uh good luck on everything you're doing right now i appreciate you dave thank you for you know fitting me in my schedule is a little uh, mm -hmm. crazy with travel and all that stuff but i appreciate your flexibility and i definitely wanted to have this chat with you so i appreciate uh, your time and the opportunity to share so thank um, you all right be well all right you too see you bye We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words. Okay, look. Before the four championships, the all-time scoring record, and 19 years of highlight-worthy plays, LeBron James was already being called the king. The Akron teenager's confidence was so brazen, many thought he was another phenom strung out on his own ego, writing a check that his play couldn't cash. In an article when LeBron was just 17, longtime hoops writer Charlie Rosen opined derisively on his prospects. For ESPN, he wrote, In high school, LeBron James may be a man among boys, but in the NBA, he'll be a boy among men. He was put off by the teenager's, quote, narcissistic attitude and wrote that, quote, LeBron James can't guard his own shadow. It's an analysis that in basketball lore has become a Dewey defeats Truman take, a brazenly bad look at someone who became a once-in-a-century player. It's easy to scoff at Rosen now. But back in 2003, while many were piling on the hype, 
Rosen represented a common sentiment among the old-timers. After all, how many teenage basketball demigods had fizzled out? How many of the high school greats were overwhelmed once they became millionaires? Enough had fallen by the wayside to make LeBron's skepticism current. But James has proved everyone wrong for two decades. His indestructible long-term health, his size and speed, and that supercomputer he has in his head have put him in a statistically rare air. He is not only the game's all-time leading scorer, he is now fourth in assists. It's a combination of statistical greatness that no one can touch. We now know what a world would look like if Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan were combined in a lab with Bo Jackson's shoulders and Chris Paul's brain. We've also witnessed someone who has accomplished this under a double burden. LeBron has had to live the last 15 years not only as a player expected to bring his team to the finals every single season, but also as someone under the added pressure of being expected to have an opinion on the issues dividing this country, most prominently racist police violence and the presidency of Donald Trump. In the process, he has been badgered about issues ranging from the NBA's business interests in China to the politics of anti-Semitism, about which he has expressed neither passion nor expertise. LeBron reminds one of a quote from Muhammad Ali, I was the onlyest boxer in history, people ask questions like a senator. Other than Serena Williams, it is difficult to think of anyone in recent years who has had to carry so much beyond the weight of athletic success. What is certain is that the media has demanded LeBron's opinion in a way not since Ali and that neither Jordan, Shaq, nor white athletes like Tom Brady have ever had to endure. This is primarily because LeBron has come of age politically and professionally in the era of both Black Lives Matter and social media. People in the streets have asked athletes and celebrities to use their platform to amplify the movement. Some have answered the call. Others have focused on their play and their pay, but LeBron has attempted to rise to the occasion, even if awkwardly at times. He has used the tools at his disposal, social media, documentary films, a highly curated HBO show called The Shop, to try and impact the world. Far from being content to shut up and dribble, LeBron even took that ugly phrase of Laura Ingram's and turned it into the title of a documentary about the history of rebel NBA players. Like with Ali, what LeBron has been able to achieve, given the political fires ranging around him, makes his accomplishments all the more remarkable. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been the standard for so many decades as an NBA player and outspoken activist that we forgot that much of Kareem's outspokenness came early in his career and as a prolific writer and speaker during retirement. During the 1980s, there simply wasn't a world that asked anything of Kareem other than that he be the steady centerpiece of the Showtime Lakers, and he quite understandably retreated into himself. LeBron could have taken a road of empty celebrity, but chose instead to not just talk, but listen. This is not to say that LeBron has handled every political test to perfection, or that everyone needs to agree with the choices he has made. It is just to acknowledge that on the road to being the king, LeBron has had to slay dragons on and off the court. As praise rains down this week on those Hall of Fame shoulders, the double burden should be recognized. LeBron wanted to be the king from day one, but his greatness lies in achieving these goals while also knowing when to take off the crown. 
We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem, indeed, for being the incredible figure of, I'll call it, political grace in handing over that scoring title to LeBron James in what was an electric night by all accounts over at the, yes, it's really called this, crypto arena. I mean, not only did Kareem handle that well, but he wrote a terrific follow-up column that people should check out where he spoke about uh, his relationship with LeBron James and uh, has some really memorable lines in there. Like, would I rather have the scoring title for another hundred years or play with my grandchildren once? Well, you don't have to ask me twice. I'll be on the floor with Legos and Uncrustables. Just the thought of Kareem with Legos and Uncrustables is enough to make me smile. So, Just Stand Up Award, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The Just Sit Down Award, Sit Your Ass Down. Sit your ass down. I gotta say, it goes to the NFL media for the ways in which they questioned or didn't question Roger Goodell uh, at the state of the game or what's it called? The state of the league uh, press conference that he gave right before the Super Bowl. They asked him puff piece questions um, about officiating. Uh, They gave him a real pass on the history of racism in the league and how it informs the present. Instead, the uh, PR of having Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes square off uh, the first time two black quarterbacks have ever squared off in the Super Bowl was just, look, this is progress. And as Roger Goodell said, this is the power of diversity. But that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. Thank you to our guest, Christy Winter Scott. Thank you to everybody out there who listens to and supports the show. People should check out BehindTheShieldMovie.com. We are out of here. Peace.